Welcome everyone. My name is Brooke and I'm here with Claire and Demi and today we're going to be talking about Greek life, Greek life at UND and kind of just Greek life in general. Yeah, we've decided to call this segment our special topic episode Greek Life 101. Um, so I am not in Greek life. I admittedly have lots of friends who are in uh, sororities and frats. Um, some of them are presidents. Brooke here is president of her sorority, and it's been interesting even kind of just communicating with her these past couple of weeks as she's had to do recruitment. Um, I, I know it's a lot of work. Anything that massive, even just like anyone walking through campus can tell, like it's a big deal, but um, to be behind the scenes and essentially running your own sorority with, with, with the help of everyone else in your house too, but that's a lot of responsibility. I can't imagine how you did that, but yeah, I... Really excited to pick your brain on some of these things that someone like me and Demi, who are kind of outsiders of the mm-hmm. Greek world, or that's not really where we're at. I'm just curious to see what, how you can shed some light on some of these things. So just in a general sense, what is it like being in your sorority? Um, how do some of those perceptions from the outside world, how do they match or clash with reality? Just give us kind of a brief overview. Um, so... When I rushed for Greek life, I didn't really know what sororities were. We don't really have sororities where I live. It's just not something that's common. Um, So I wasn't really aware that there was Greek life when I came to UND. It was something that I never looked into. So when I got here, I didn't think that it was as big of a deal as it is. I didn't understand like the planning that goes behind it and how technical it all can be. I kind of just thought, oh, it's just a bunch of friends hanging out kind of, and that was it. And then when I rushed and about you know a semester in, you kind of realize that it's a lot more than I think people think. And it, it can be tough sometimes. It's, it's a lot of work, but I, I really love it, so. So start us out from the beginning. Let's talk about recruitment. You can tell us a little bit about the general process. Um, I mean, my basic understanding is kind of um, rush week is where uh, prospective members of each house will just talk about sororities in this case, just for the sake of examples, where girls will kind of meet some of the people in a specific sorority, uh, you know, move on to the next house, kind of get to see what it would be like it's almost like a job interview in a sense however it's not necessarily like oh I only love this sorority I will only you know quote unquote apply for this sorority there is a lot more between like pledges and stuff like that so you'll probably have to give us a vocab lesson in what actually goes on so yeah tell us about recruitment so recruitment is massive recruitment is something that takes pretty much an entire year to plan out and you're practicing for recruitment months in advance. Um, being on like the, the recruiter side, I guess, so you're already in the sorority and you're already in Greek life. Um, I know that sororities and frats are very different with how they do rush. Sororities are extremely formal. Like I said, it's something that we prepare for a year in advance, we're doing recruitment workshops, we're practicing, we're setting up the house, we're, we're having like kind of fake conversations, you know, so we can learn how to best get to know women in the very short amount of time that they're 
in the house during recruitment because we don't get to talk to them for very long and we want to make sure that they're a right fit for our house. Most um, sororities do, it's called value-based recruiting. So you're recruiting people based off of their values and if they hold similar values um, to the other girls in the house. And that's really hard to learn about someone when you're when you get to talk to them for the first day usually you talk to someone for maybe 15 minutes the next day it's half an hour and then on the third day you probably get to talk to them for 45 minutes and you may have talked to them previous days maybe you haven't so it's it is kind of like an interview like Mm -hmm. we want to get to know people as quickly as possible and it's very formal we have to make sure that um, in a sorority the girls going through recruitment talk to a certain number of people just so you know you're not just getting one person's perception of someone but with the fraternities to me it kind of just seems like obviously I can't speak from experience because I'm not in a fraternity um they kind of just get to choose which house they want to go see and then they go hang out on the lawn play some games you know chat with some people and Sometimes I wish that sororities did it that way because it seems more genuine. Mm. It's more natural. It's a more natural conversation um, and a lot less pressure. But I do think that it's nice with the sororities. um, People get to, they they have to go to all of the houses on the first day, which I think is really nice because it kind of gives everyone a fair chance. Yeah. um, Instead of just choosing, oh, I want to go visit this one this day. Mm. So I really like that about recruitment, but it's... It's a lot, and I think girls going through to them, like, they're under a lot of pressure. Um, It can be very intimidating, but I think they, lots of people don't see the planning that goes into it, because it's very big, and one year of bad recruitment could mean not great things for your chapter either, so there's a lot of pressure from things like the university and headquarters and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean... Think about when you apply to a job, how you're like tailoring a cover letter and your resume because you want that to match what they want. So, I mean, you have these girls going into houses and, as you said, like a value-based system. How do you, how do you accurately represent yourself while also kind of like, I don't want to say getting what you want, but like, I mean, trying to fit into an already established house? Um, imagine that's kind of stressful. Yeah. I, the biggest thing that, um, while we're practicing for recruitment is, is telling our girls, like, you need to be yourself. There's a lot of pressure when it comes to recruitment to like put on a good face kind of, and act really professional. But at the same time, like these girls coming in that, in the houses, looking where they maybe want to spend their next four years, they're just looking like for someone to be their friend. So if they go in and they talk to someone and then let's say they join that house and then they talk to that same person a week later and they're completely different than how they were during recruitment weekend, that's, I think, where a lot of problems can lie doing something so formal as like a formal recruitment is people Mm -hmm. feel the pressure to kind of like change how they are to be more professional and to you know, relate to people and kind of tell them what they want to hear, but that's very insincere. So that's yeah. something that it's it's hard to get past in such a formal setting, but it's something that um, I think most houses try to work towards 
especially during recruitment. Sure. Uh, can you can you break it down for a simpleton like myself? So sororities, as you said, they, you know, one day you essentially tour every sorority on campus. Um, as you said, it kind of levels the playing field for people. Then what happens? Say I have gone through every single house and I want to join your sorority, Brooke. Um, so, what? yes. So these girls are going through the first day they go to every single house. Um, usually they would go visit them in person. This year, the day one was videos. So each house made like kind of like a marketing type video, um, which, is, which is great, but you don't get to talk to them in person, which I think kind of defeats a lot of the purpose. Mm -hmm. But so they'll go talk to all of these people or watch the videos and then they will, the um, girls going through recruitment, they will rank the houses that they want. So at the end of the day, they rank and then those all get sent in to like the Greek life advisors and then every day they do that. So that's pretty much how that works. Um, you and I, as we were kind of prepping for this episode, we started to talk about uh, Bama Rush Talk. Um, yeah. Obviously, that was a big deal on TikTok this past fall. And how how did that impact Recruitment Week? Um, yeah, tell us about that. So what we thought Bama Rush Talk was going to do was boost recruitment registration numbers. So Girls that want to go through recruitment, they um, sign up in advance, and then we get to see like how many people are registered. And we thought that numbers would go up. However, numbers were down this year. They were down last year. Um, I don't know if it's just a COVID thing. Numbers are down kind of all, all over. It's, it's a national thing. But we thought that Bama Rush Talk would kind of raise them. It maybe helped a little bit. But what we saw happen um, when the girls were coming through my chapter was girls were dressed up more than they were in previous years and they just kind of seemed to take it more seriously. Which I'm sure is both a good and bad thing because as you had said like how frats is a little bit more casual like it's glad it's, it's a good thing to see people taking it seriously and really wanting to be a part of something but at the same time kind of like almost puts that wall up even more of how do you actually get to know potential members of your mm -hmm. sorority. Yeah, it, it's definitely difficult because, you know, we're only speaking to girls for 15 minutes. They're only talking to us for 15 minutes mm -hmm. and they're going to all of these other houses. A lot of times they're all just going to blur together and they're barely mm -hmm. going to remember, um, especially when they're having so many different conversations. Um, it's kind of inevitable that some decisions will be made based off of appearance if they can't remember kind of what they talked about that day or whatever. So it was nice to see girls like get a little bit more professional, take it seriously. But it's nice for us because we put so much time and effort into it mm -hmm. too. So it, it was it was definitely nice, but I think a lot of it came from Bama Rush Talk. But I also think that the majority of the audience watching Bama Rush Talk were already sorority women. They I don't know about weren't that, many people like going to Rush. It was people that were already in sororities. Because that was like I mean, the I guess. Yeah. I I personally didn't see that many 
like, you know, I wasn't really in Bama Rush talk, but I saw so many almost like reaction videos. Mm. Like, okay. you know, the stitch, the duet type of thing. Um, so I think that was really widespread, but for someone um, who had, you know, I've already made up my mind, I am not that interested in joining Greek life. I have enough extracurriculars I'm a part of, and I think those better serve me and my personal interests. Um, so, like, it was interesting to kind of be like, oh, look what they're doing over there. But um, for someone who's actually in a sorority, maybe that was, you know, almost like a video Pinterest of, oh, sick, I'm aware of this. Yeah, see, I wasn't actually on the Bama Rush Talk side very much. So most of what I saw was my friends sending me things. But then the algorithm picks up on it, and then, then yeah. you see it. But the things that they were sending me were things that someone who's already in a chapter mm. would be watching yeah. like talking about how chaotic like running recruitment is oh, sure. thing yeah. like that was the side that I was kind of on it wasn't like this is my outfit yeah not, not that sure. yeah it was more like the technical and like stressed side of yeah. things I did see actually I saw a couple random ones um where you know it was a sorority like frantically prepping for things oh yeah like that type of audio of like panic um yeah it's definitely the most important thing that we do all year which is kind of nice that we do it right at the start and like get it out of the way kind of because so we're not prepping while we're trying to do school and things like that yeah that makes sense so all right i have spent my you know that kind of recruitment week behind uh the magical curtain i am in your sorority i am i'm selected to join or i am how however the people behind the curtain draw my name out of a hat lord knows what anyway i'm in your sorority now what now what there is a lot of things the first thing is i was really stressed um because yes you're in the sorority but you still have to put in a, like the effort to make friends. Just because you're in the sorority doesn't mean that you're just automatically friends with everyone. You still have to build those connections, which is really nice because you have a lot of women that are there, you know, wanting to build those connections with you. But it can definitely still be a little bit stressful. Did you feel like you were welcomed into your into your sorority. Um, this is, I don't really hear this about sororities more on like the fraternity side of things. You kind of hear about like recruitment horror stories or like hazing or I mean you have to do this to get in. And yeah, again, I some of those are legit. You read a headline. Some are just rumors that circulate. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you feel welcome? Did you experience any of that kind of? like hazing side of things I have never experienced any sort of hazing whatsoever like it's something that they're so strict about um and I've never known anyone that has experienced hazing however I have heard all of the rumors and you know we've all read a story from some like you know chapter in the south that forced someone to like drink alcohol or something to the point of alcohol poisoning We've all heard it. It does exist. I have not experienced it, and I have not known people that have experienced it. Um, I would like to think that UND does a pretty good job. However, you know, I obviously don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there's people that have, but I personally have not, so I can't really speak for 
anyone else or anyone in any other chapters, but I have not experienced it and I felt very welcomed. It was so nice like joining and then that first week having people that I didn't even really know like invite me out to lunch or invite me to study or something. It was nice that they were also reaching out to me and that I didn't have to put in all of the effort because that would have been very time consuming. So it was nice to see the effort on their part as well. Mm -hmm. Something that I kind of, I don't know if I never considered it or incorrectly assumed is, um, I guess, I guess I was assumed that like, oh, you join a sorority, you're in the house. Um, I've quickly realized that is very much not the case. Um, most freshmen continue to live in their dorm. Um, and eventually later you kind of have the opportunity to live in the house from my understanding. It's also not necessarily like required come sophomore year. I imagine it's kind of a personal choice and also how the chapter operates, but yeah. How, how does that work in more detail? It's very, um, chapter and like sorority fraternity, preference so it's kind of what each specific house requires mm -hmm. some have to fill up their house before they can let people live out some people can or some houses can have empty rooms it kind of depends on like the financial state and it's not free that's the other thing yeah i just assume that like oh yeah you're in a sorority cool you get to live in the house now like no nope, you are paying not how it works. you're paying rent like you're living in an, in an apartment, basically. Rent is usually tied in with your member dues. Mm -hmm. um, but when people join, if they're a freshman and, and they're in the dorms, they stay in the dorms until they're done that year. And then it's very typical for sophomores um, or second years mm -hmm. in the yeah. house. They might not be. Not everyone joins as a freshman. Sure. Yeah. Um, but it is very typical to live in your second year to live in the house, but living in the house has been one of my favorite parts. I feel like it definitely, you know, living with a bunch of women is what is, that's how I got to know them. Yeah. You know, you're watching TV in the living room, you're cooking together in the kitchen. Like that's where I found I made my closest friends was living in the house. So I have heard that sometimes people that don't live in the house kind of feel a little bit of a disconnect. And I know that that's a struggle with a lot of chapters is getting their members that live out to feel just as included as the members that live in. Mm -hmm. So did you have, oh, goodness, sorry. Did you have like a roommate? Um, you're the president now. Do you, do you have a roommate now? Um, I currently do not. So my, I joined my freshman year. And then my sophomore year, I lived in the house and I had a roommate. We, it, it's again, dependent on chapters. We got to pick our roommates. I think most chapters get to pick their roommates. I can't be 100% sure, but I did get to pick my roommate. We didn't know each other super well, um, but now she she's my best friend. So it really, I really grew close to my roommate, which was amazing. Um, so... I did have a roommate, and then the year after that, I did not because I was on our executive board. I was the vice president of community relations, and in my house, um, we do have singles, single rooms available for people on the exec board, and then now I also don't have a roommate because I'm on the exec board, so 
it's it's been nice having my own room. But I also really enjoyed having a roommate. Okay, so um, you had said uh, when you were living in the house, your first year was really great, you know, getting to connect with people, as you said, like sitting on the couch, watching TV with someone, cooking in the kitchen. Um, one of the Bama Rush Talk things that I did kind of see was some of these like absolutely extravagant like kitchens with like espresso machines, a juice machine, and like essentially live in like chefs might be too strong of a word, but like hmm. essentially catered meals. Yeah. Um, yeah. S- some houses know. have chefs. I know that there's tons of chapters, both sororities and fraternities on campus that have chefs and they get almost, I think probably lunch and dinner. I, I doubt they're getting breakfast cooked. I, I don't personally know. Um, but I do know there is chapters on campus that have their own personal chef and they will prepare meals for them. Um, my chapter does not, and I know that there's other chapters that don't have a chef, but we just get full access to our kitchen whenever we'd like. We all have like space in a fridge and space in a pantry to store our own food. And then we have things like we have two stoves. I think we probably have six fridges because we have you know 30 women living in sharing these fridges. Um, so it just depends on the chapter. But I have seen like those TikTok videos and the YouTube videos of like chapters down in the south that have they have big like fountain machines and nespressos and all of that um i we we don't operate at und here like they do down there greek life is so massive there they have sororities with 300 women in it and 100 of them live in this big mansion Mm. so we we just don't operate on a scale that large but we do have like little things like we have Mm -hmm. things like all the houses have like Keurigs and stuff like that. It's just not on quite the scale that they do. It's still interesting in the though, because I mean, as I said, I've I'm not in a sorority. I mm-hmm. I've never toured a house by any means. Like I just gotta know what goes on. I'm just I'm just curious. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, we also kind of talked about parking. I have a friend who joined a sorority. She joined. Um, like spring of her sophomore year okay. and she, we we were joking this was not the reason she joined but we were joking that she joined because she wanted a good parking spot um because parking passes at und some people claim they're heck expensive i just think it's stupid i mean and parking services does not rest ever so how does parking work we at und we know there's like that big lot outside the it's the fritz Pol- pollard athletic center now correct well, it's by the Hislop. It's across the street, across the street from the Hislop. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's very obvious where Greek Row is. I mean, the houses are stunning, but some of those, not every uh, fraternity or sorority is even in that area. I imagine there's a lot of street parking. We think of, okay, as I said, I'm really bad with all the names. Please don't roast me. But like the one sorority that looks like a pink castle. <laughs> Yeah. Um, where do they park? Did you actually get good parking? You're the president. Do you just boom? So, well, I do, being the president, I do get um, a driveway privilege. So I do get to use the driveway at our house, which is really nice. However, you know, I didn't get to use it before. And next semester, I won't be the president anymore. So I'll be, you know, booted back onto the street, which is okay. Um, 
it does fill up if you're parking on the streets. If you're down on like frat row, as they would probably call it, um, you do get that big Greek parking lot across the street, which is really nice. But I think a lot of times people forget that there are there are other houses not on that Greek row down there. Um, so some of us have little parking lots and some of us are just, you got to park on the street. Mm. So we do have, there is like those S lot parking around so you can park during the day if you have a pass, but most of the time they don't let you park overnight. So it's mostly just finding a spot on the street if you're not down on, um, that Greek row. Mm -hmm. And we, um, in the middle of campus kind of, there is like a small Greek parking but we, um, not everyone uses it. Like, I haven't had a parking pass since freshman year. I've just been parking on the street. If I got to walk a little bit, I got to walk. So it's kind of just personal preference, I guess. You do get access, you know, you can access that Greek lot if you don't want to do, like, the S parking. But most people, I think, just use you do the S because it's more accessible on campus. Yeah, I guess I'd have to look into whether or not you, like, have to purchase a specific you know, like Greek parking pass. Um, you you don't have to. You no, I mean, I mean, want, like if you like, were to just buy like a Greek parking pass instead yeah. of an all-around one. Mm-hmm. As I said, I'm in Swanson this year, so I'm living it up in the parking ramp. Yeah, it's great. Anyway, um, yeah. So we've talked about roommates. We've talked about the perks of living in the house. Um, some other kind of assumptions about sororities and Greek life is, well, sororities in particular, we think about, like, dress code and social media and how, uh, like, physical presentation. Yeah, I I mean, we've all seen the TikToks or even just people kind of making the joke of, like, posing like a sorority girl. Um, yep, the I've sorority been, squad. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Like... I, I don't really want to ask like how much of that is true, and because I mean, almost the theme of how I'm, when I'm asking you these questions, like it really depends on the chapter and the current members. Mm-hmm. But like I, I mean, is there any some sort of dress code? I, I also got to admit, I saw a TikTok, and they said the clones are fresh off Camino, and it's a <laughs> bunch of you know like girls uh, walking for Rush Week, and they all essentially look. look the same yeah yeah i definitely um understand that i have very basic style i will admit i do look like a lot i do dress like a lot of the ladies on this campus and that's okay i've accepted it but there's um, nothing wrong with that i think part (laughs) of the problem is people are really quick like girls aren't allowed to like anything they're really not like if you really like dressing up and kind of pride yourself on having a different sense of fashion or like a high mm-hmm. sense of fashion, mm-hmm. then you're a snob. If you don't try it all, then then you just don't care. And, yeah. you know, like you're lazy. Or if you just wear what you're comfortable with, whether that is, you know, the quote unquote basic, basic. Yeah. then then again, you get to be labeled basic. Like there's a label for everything. Yeah. There's a label for everything. And you know, there there's labels on Greek life. Like, you know, you people walk down the street and they'll be like, oh yeah, she's a typical sorority girl. Like there is labels on everything and most of it's based on appearance. Um, 
we do take like our professional things very seriously. We do have like dress codes for things like meeting. We dress up business casual. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of it's just to represent as well. Yeah. Because like I said, there's lots of judgment and people will judge an entire house by one person. They might mm-hmm. meet one person and she's in one chapter and then they will base their assumptions on that whole yeah. house based off of the one person that they met, which mm-hmm. is very unfair, but it's a huge problem in Greek life. I've noticed you have one person that does something it reflects on the whole chapter. Mm-hmm. So, And as we all know, bad news travels a lot quicker than good news. It unfortunately. does. And I mean, it's no different. Um, my soccer team, they always dress up for home games. It's no different than that. Like representing yourself Exactly. Well. You're representing yourself. You're representing your team or you're representing your house. Like it's, we do take our professional things very seriously, but it's because we want to be perceived in a positive way. Of course. Yeah. Um, something else that we kind of think about stereotypically is um, academic standards. To be honest, I, my personal stereotype, which is again, an unfair assumption is I normally think of like frats being all like business kids um i i have less of a stereotype for sororities um my friend who is um president of her sorority i met her when we were in chemical engineering together she's incredibly bright and smart Mm -hmm. um i mean you are as well of course but like i mean you think of the stem kids like i there doesn't have to be a stereotype for academics within sororities but even my friend who joined quote-unquote for her parking uh, spot uh, she talked about how it was great being able to have like almost designated like study times where like everyone is taking it seriously um she's nutrition and dietetics so i mean she's got a lot of like heavy memorization stuff Mm -hmm. she was in um ochem last semester when she rushed slash joined like that's intense and so um Set the record straight on that. How are academics handled from a chapter standpoint? Of course, more specifically your own, but yeah. So I think that, you know, there are all of these stereotypes around like Greek life and it's going to bring your grades down, but it all comes down to personal decision and how you want to, you know, how much you care about your academics. If you're going to let Greek life get in the way of your academics, that that's on you. But also, I know that my chapter personally and probably every other chapter on campus, your grades come first. Your academics come first. You're here to be a student, and all of the chapters recognize that. Mm. We do have things in place for people that let their grades slip because, you know, you're, you're there to be a student. Life happens. I mean, in general, like... I feel like people would probably be really quick if you know if you found out a classmate wasn't doing well you'd be like oh it's because she's in a sorority he's in a frat and I mean that's not even necessarily true I mean life happens COVID sucked for I mean a lot of us if not all of us Mm -hmm. I mean I worked my tail off to try to keep up the standard I wanted for my grades but even then like it was it didn't always pan out the way I wanted it to so I mean yeah Absolutely. It's definitely not an excuse, but to know that there's built-in structures within Greek life to have success in academics, like, that's refreshing to hear and totally breaks that stereotype. Yeah, well, and you have, like, you have, like, a built-in support system for your academics. 
mostly all of the chapters on this campus have some sort of executive position or a chair or a director's position that is focused on helping members with their academics. So they will handle the people that might be on things like academic probation and academic supervision because there are GPA requirements um, based on things like your grades last semester, this semester, you might have a certain amount of study hours that you have to complete. They might have to be supervised by like an executive member or you might do a little study group with you know the girls in your sorority that are in the same major as you. So there is people to help you, but all of those things are so kind of behind the scenes that from an outsider's perspective, they might not think that those things are in place, but it's something that you know is implemented nationally because all of these organizations' headquarters can't see their grades dropping. Mm-hmm. So, in a recent episode, um, I kind of gave my hot take on—I don't know if we can call it a hot take. Yeah, whatever. Drinking age, right? Um, college campuses and Greek life. A lot of associations also goes to. Uh, parties and alcohol and how that plays a factor in Greek life as well as people who aren't involved in Greek life directly but are still kind of attending and Mm -hmm. being part of all of that I mean there's there's tons of questions I could ask you whether I mean like who gets into those parties how are they essentially organized because you made it super clear that during recruitment it's nothing is really spur of the moment but at the same time like that yeah, there's got to be some spontaneity there. And I mean, you hear about different themes um, or, I mean, alcohol in general. How is that supervised slash unsupervised? Um, Yeah. And then my burning question about brats and sorority parties. Who picks the playlist? That's my burning question. But yeah, we'll we'll just start with who, who gets in to parties slash how do parties happen yeah so i'm sure we've all heard the joking line that um you know you show up to a frat party and the first words out of their mouths are who do you know here so i think it just depends on do you have friends there and i guess are they lenient at the door because who mans the door from what i've seen and heard it's mostly newer members that are manning the door at the frat parties. Ah, uh, yes. The newer members who are still yeah. learning names. Yeah. That makes um, perfect sense. So They're really intimidating, you know, five, ten freshmen. Who yeah. They seem to get stuck at the door yet. with the door shift. Um, but, and, you know, I guess it's kind of just up to their discretion. Most places do have, like, lists, which I guess is great for liability reasons it's good to know that they are being a little bit smart about you know knowing who's in their house especially if something bad were to happen they Mm -hmm. have a list of who was there yeah a monitor of some sort yeah think about like that one barstool post that i think it happened last year maybe not it definitely resurfaced this year that uh one kid from south korea who like sent an email to a specific frat and is like hi i want to experience a frat party (laughs) Oh, oh man! But they let him in because apparently he had like yeah. you know tried the door and you know who do you know? Didn't know anyone. Um, yeah. So I always think 
doesn't I guess I, I understand why they do that because they want to know who's in their house at all times. But there's absolutely no way that you could possibly monitor everyone that is inside a fraternity on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. There's just no way. I mean, I appreciate the effort, I guess, but you just you just can't. Yeah. Um so Again, with parties, I don't want to say, like, what's the origin story of, of the parties, but, like, do frats just seriously be like, yep, every Friday night, boom, this is what we're doing. Like, how are you not burnt out? How are you... <laughs> right? I would Bro, be exhausted. I just like, and how, like, how? Explain. I feel bad for the people that live in the house that don't want to party. Mm. That then have to try to, like, you know, go to sleep on a Friday night when there's people in their hallways, people in their basement, you know, the music's loud. I just, you could not pay me to live in a fraternity house. But I think being here in Grand Forks, it's obviously no secret that, you know, the fraternities, that that's the place to be if you're, and the sad thing is it's mostly underage students because the ones that are of age are going to the bars um they just you go to a frat house on the weekend that's it's such a huge thing for the UND campus culture and it I think has definitely gotten a little bit out of hand Mm. um because you go to other schools like and it just seems so like it's so much at UND it's you're right it's every single weekend Every Friday, Saturday, every time the weather is nice, you're seeing people out drinking on lawns. Oh, bro, it's it doesn't like, matter if the weather's nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it could be the middle of winter, and they're out there. It's like, I don't know if they feel like there's an obligation to, hmm. or if that's simply just how they want to spend their time all the time, because, you know, the sororities don't throw parties. I've never seen a sorority throw a party um, but it's it's all the time. I always wonder where, like, I mean, you said it's mostly underage. I mean, where is the law enforcement on this one? Like, I just, I don't right? get it. Riddle me that. I've, um, so I've sat down and I've thought about this, and I simply think they just cannot control it. When there is 400 or 300 to 400 underage students in one house, how can they simply contain that? Mm-hmm. I just don't think that there's any way that they could truly go about getting that done effectively and fairly. You know, you know, if they were, let's say, to get every person in trouble that's there drinking underage, there is no way that they would physically be able to do that with absolutely everyone. So there's no way to handle it effectively or in a fair way. So the best next thing is just to monitor the situations. Yeah, I mean, I guess. But yeah, that, well, we'll leave that at that. But as, as I said, the most burning question that I have to ask you, who picks the playlist? You admitted that sororities don't throw parties. It's, it's just frats. Because I have a bone to pick with some of these people. Like, my guy, some of you... Straight bangers. Some of you, no. This is awful. Who decided on this? 
I would just assume that it's either, you know, the members pick one or two guys that they think have really great taste in music. Oh, tough. Or, I don't know, are they just throwing on some Spotify frat playlist that they found one day while scrolling through, like, Spotify? I, you know how, I like, don't know. Okay, so I used to work at Barnes & Noble, and corporate uh, sets our playlist. I also worked at Hobby Lobby, so obviously corporate sets, like, the playlist for that. I, w- I like to imagine that there's, like, an official Spotify playlist. Like, an official account, and they're just like, mm, this one. Yeah. Like this. <laughs> that would make me so happy. I just, that's my dream. That's, yeah. Okay. I like that. Uh, so, we've talked about academics. We've talked about parties and some of those stereotypes. Something that we kind of ignore altogether is the philanthropy aspect of sororities and fraternities. Um, how do you guys, like, select a cause? Again, I understand that, like, per chapter, things are kind of designated or more from, like, a headquarters standpoint. How do you guys actively make a difference in the community? A lot of people would say that, you know, philanthropy is the entire reason why the Greek system exist or should exist it's i mean it's not about the parties like it's great that you're you know making these friendships and um you know learning to live with other people but like if philanthropy is the you know the meat and potatoes of your entire existence why aren't we talking about that more so philanthropy is one of my it's it's one of my favorite things about greek life because you're right, we're doing these things, like we're making these amazing friendships, we're bettering our academics, we're, you know, developing as individuals. But those are all on a more personal level and things that you're doing for yourself. But our philanthropies are something that we as an organization can do for the community. It's something that we are doing outside of ourselves. We're contributing to something bigger. Um, it, we don't get to choose what our philanthropy is. Most of the chapters here, their headquarters and their like chapters all around the nation are all supporting the same cause. So it's not only your chapter that you might be in supporting this one cause, it's all of them across the U.S. and maybe Canada if you have a chapter there. Mm-hmm. Do the causes stay relatively the same like is it a designated thing every year or does it rotate are there multiple is it just one so the big initial one will probably stay the same but then you kind of find smaller little branches of that charitable organization that you might donate to can you give me some more like examples like yeah again I don't completely understand how it all works picking your brain here like say you're cause is so yeah okay, the cause for my chapter um our organization supports read lead achieve so it promotes literacy in young children one in four kids cannot read and that is a cause that we support and are trying to reverse so that is our overall big cause that we support but then there's smaller branches of that where we, you know, contribute our time and our money. So we do something like CARS. It's called, it. it's the abbreviation is CARS. It's Champions or Readers. So we go into schools and we read to kids in things like kindergarten, first grade. So that's a little branch that then supports Read, Lead, Achieve. We do like 
book drives and things like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I was going to say uh, September is like National Library Card Sign Up Month. I, I read a lot of books online mm-hmm. from my hometown library because that's where my card is. I mean, I imagine you could do stuff like that. Okay. That's yeah. cool. So then it's, you know, one big cause. I don't, don't want to call it a theme, but, you know, one thing, but then contributing at smaller levels at yeah. ways that are more manageable instead of just funneling money up through something big. Yeah, because we'll, we'll try to do things for our larger organization, Read, Lead, Achieve, but then we'll try to hit things at the local level mm-hmm. as well. And that's when we're going into schools in Grand Forks and things like that. Do you know any other um, chapters, what their philanthropy is? If you can just um, give some other examples. Yeah, I know some um, do things for, like, cancer foundations. There's one for military things. Um, there, I think there's a chapter on campus that supports, um, like, children that are going through kind of, like, court systems where if their parents are oh, getting like divorced. Foster system yeah, stuff? Okay. things like that. So it's really just whatever their organization supports, you kind of just go along with whatever it is. Interesting. Um, I worked at a nonprofit over the summer. And I shouldn't say I worked there. I interned there. And we had this really big volunteer event where we did multiple projects throughout the community. And we actually estimated how much that volunteer work was financially. Um, interesting trying to grab those numbers because I think some of it's based off of, you know, the money that a company essentially, you know, loses by letting their employee not be on the clock and, you know, giving back mm-hmm. to the community if people donated items. And the number was astronomical for, I mean, just in my community how that was. I imagine how that would add up, you know, when Greek life really is taking their philanthropy seriously and how you can calculate that. And just, yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, some of, like, the chapters on campus, they're doing even just, like, small smaller fundraisers like they'll do some sort of food feed out of their house and they're raising thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. for their organization which is really amazing it's something that even just as a UND community we're all contributing to that so yeah so we've spent a lot of time talking about Greek life I am such an an advocate for Greek life I think that it's amazing for things like leadership development, um, personal development, your academics, making friends. I think that it's amazing. Um, but I don't think that Greek life is going to be around for much longer. I think that those stereotypes and the few small incidents, you know, or I guess they are big incidents, but when you hear about the occasional hazing issue somewhere in the States, it blows up. It's huge. And then there's all of these stereotypes around how Greek life can be the cause of, you know, academic distress. And sometimes it is, but that's because, you know, certain members can are choosing to put their Greek life before their academics. But I don't think that it's going to be something that's around for very long, whether it's 10 years, 30 years. It's I don't think it's going to be present on campus for much longer. Interesting. We always love the hot takes. That's something Mason and Ben and I kind of coined last year. Mm-hmm. We, we love a good hot take. Greek life, gone. I mean, that's even hard to imagine, but I, from an outsider's perspe- perspective, like, yeah, that kind of makes sense that that could kind of dissolve in the next couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I think because 
you know, there are all of those bad stereotypes and things like that that are going to contribute, I think, to the shutting down of Greek life. But also, I think as a nation and everything, things are moving to things that are very, you know, inclusive and things like that. And with the whole thing with the recruitment process and joining, it does come off as somewhat, like, exclusive. Not everyone on campus is in Greek life. Mm -hmm. You know, there is, like, these people are going through and ranking houses based on what they see. Yeah, I can definitely see how that's kind of hits a lot of hot topics very quickly yeah, between, definitely. you know, wealth and equality in the U.S. Who are you mm -hmm. admitting? Again, is that based on looks? Is that based on uh, who you know, your connections? Um, some good old nepotism to how are you getting in? Um, yeah. Yeah. When I, I know can a imagine big, that's a lot. Yeah, a big struggle that lots of these chapters are facing is things like diversity and things like that. And I think Greek life is extremely traditional. You know, there are men's fraternity and there are women's sororities. And now people are... It doesn't leave room for people who identify differently and people who have yes, been, exactly. been almost required to fly under the radar with how they feel comfortable in their own skin. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when some of those institutions have been around for so long, it's, it's hard to break that. And I mean, the U.S. sees it on a level nationally of course i mean think about the target restroom debacle a couple years ago i mean yeah. it's hard to break that down and college kids are still learning and developing their own worldviews and as a kid you normally adapt to the worldviews of your parents or what is going on and it's hard to create a space for college kids to work through all of that and I, in my opinion i don't think the greek life system is going to survive that yes i completely agree i just think that it's too traditional for where college campuses are trying to move. And I think that people are going to start to feel excluded. Um, but like I said, I love Greek life. I'm a huge advocate for Greek life. I just don't know if it has a place maybe 50 years down the line. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, thank you, Brooke, for providing your insight on all this i mean i mean there's still so much more we could have even talked about mm -hmm. i mean you talked about being on your exec board and i mean we talked a little bit about community outreach but just oh my gosh like it's a massive undertaking i applaud you for you know developing those leadership skills and you know i don't want to say making friends on campus but i mean making those connections and i'm, I'm really glad it's part of your college experience so yeah thank you for your time and expertise on this subject we appreciate that yeah thanks so much i really appreciate that all right well thank you we can catch up with you guys next week bye